Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. No hitters abound in Major League Baseball. Excitement in the NHL playoffs from what people tell me. Overtime games abound there as well. The National Football League. Nobody circles the wagons quite like it. Tim Tebow reported to the Jaguars camp. He was signed. Every media outlet needs to speak on it. Tim Tebow to the Jaguars. What does it mean? Rehashing the stories from the last two weeks. Very important in sports. Well, this unsettled the locker room. Or we could start with the NBA. We waited a day, crossed our fingers, hoped our Lakers would win their play-in game against the Golden State Warriors. It's a little like Russian roulette doing that. This could have been a somber show and then a prediction show. But thankfully, after a garbage first half, they turned it on in the second went off in the third quarter, held on in the fourth quarter, and beat Golden State and Steph Curry 103-100, to moving on and clinching a spot in the postseason as the seventh seed where they will face the Phoenix Suns. The play-in games in general have been hot trash, to be kind. That game at least saved the handful of games that we were subjected to to decide one through eight and it was one of the best games of the season, if not the best. If you include it as a regular season game, it's a little gray area where the game counts. The stats that everybody accumulated don't go toward the postseason. It's very strange, of course. Why the regular season? They don't exist. They don't exist at all. Of course. Why would we want to make things easy? All that said, it was a thrilling game for those that were able to stay up and watch it. It was a great win for this show. And now we get to spend a couple minutes talking about a few. Thank goodness. The Lakers turn it on, beat Golden State, and move on. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, Big John, it's always a pleasure to have our all our fans and friends aboard. And you really wonder if this one game the shining moment, so to speak, of the play-in will salvage the entire play-in. Because, you know, they want more interest. They want more emphasis on the regular season seedings, fighting for playoff spots, fighting for play-in spots. But these games were so bad, with the exception of one, you wonder if maybe next year they say, all right, let's just do eight against nine for the eighth seed and a real sudden death for both teams. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do, but they got 
one shining moment out of it, which was an absolute nightmare for 24 minutes of timer basketball for our franchise, the franchise of record in the NBA Los Angeles Lakers, who came out as they usually do in game one of all series, flat as a pancake. The problem with this series is there only is one game. So you don't have those other four you need to win or the other three that the other team needs to win as a safety net. You just got this one. And obviously the loser goes on to play Memphis, which in this case is Golden State. So we had a quasi net, but you didn't have a net for the seventh. So what you saw was a lot of what you've seen throughout the second half of the year with the Lakers without healthy Anthony Davis, without healthy LeBron James, lackadaisical defense, mass confusion on offense, uh, terrible shooting, turnovers, and Frank Vogel trying to figure it all out along with Jason Kidd and the rest of the staff. Second half, to their credit, huge adjustments. Drummond goes off the court because he was lost. AD was not effective with Drummond on the court, with Drummond gone and AD at the five, the defense improved dramatically. They put much more pressure on Steph Curry with the likes of the new white chocolate, uh, the opera singer Caruso with lo and behold, out of nowhere, Wes Matthews Jr. is alive and well and playing in, in in Staples Center, not big offensively, but huge defensively on Steph. Caldwell Pope, also terrific defensively, knocked down some shots early. And then you had AD arriving on the offensive end, huge in the fourth quarter, playing the five and having a massive impact on the entire floor defensively. I have said it over and over and over again. What makes the Lakers different? from every other team, and I mean every other team, despite the fact that Jokic is going to be the MVP, despite the fact that Embiid is probably going to be the runner-up, despite the fact that Giannis is a two-time defending MVP and will finish in the top five again, and who knows, maybe well, he won't finish third because they, uh, the, the three they put out included step, but he was my third. Regardless, none of them can defend the entire half court once the opponent crosses it like Anthony Davis. He is a unique and extraordinary defensive player with his wingspan, with his ability to move from side to side, with his ability to do all of the above on players that are literally eight to 10 inches shorter than him and his ability to do so without fouling and without leaving his feet. He did it last year throughout the bubble. He shut down Jimmy Butler. When Jimmy Butler went inside, he would guard Jimmy Butler from the elbow and in, and Jimmy Butler could not score against him. He couldn't get a shot off against him. He was intimidated by him. And yesterday, he's out defending Steph Curry, 35, 40 feet from the basket. His offensive game has been inconsistent since he came back, but He is, again, as I have said to you on the last two shows, as I have said all over the radio, to whomever will listen to me, NBA Network, 
the boys in the morning, the great Frank Isola and the white mama, Brian Scalabrine. Those on Mad Dog Radio, whether it's Chris Russo, whether it's the judge, Steve Torrey, whether it's Mike Meltzer, those I've texted, the great Nick Wright, he is moving incredibly well. He is moving like he is healthy. The offense will come. But if his defense is going to be at the level it was at last night throughout the postseason, I have a message for the NBA contenders. The news is bad. B-A-D. For anyone who wants to take that L-O-B away from the Lakers and that bad news spelled B-A-D is bubble, Anthony Davis, because bubble AD is a train wreck for the rest of the league. And if he's healthy and can defend like that, because that's how the Lakers won a championship. They won a championship with defense, defense, rebounding, timely shooting from various sources. Again, last night, well, Schroeder was awful. Well, where was it? Who's going to step up? It doesn't matter who steps up. It matters that somebody else does. And last night in the first half, who was it? It was the new white chocolate who had, I believe, all of his points in the first half. and was the only Laker in double digits. So somebody else found a way to be a helper and really kept them in that game. And in the second half, obviously, it was LeBron. In the fourth quarter, it was a D, a little input from Pope. Defensive help from Matthews Jr., a little input from Kuzma and Harrell, but that game was about defense. It wasn't about scoring 120 points. It was about finding a way to stop Steph Curry from going off. Six turnovers. Yes, he played well, but he wasn't unconscious. And down the stretch, Steph Curry could not get shots simply because they wouldn't let him have the ball anywhere close to the basket without a double team because of the same thing they did last year to Harden, the same thing they did last year to Dame, the same thing they did last year against Denver and Murray. They go to double teams and they go to double teams with their length in the backcourt, their versatility in the backcourt and their ability to rotate. And a huge part of that is Anthony Davis's ability to rotate, help out, get back defensively to whomever might be open with his length and affect shots and not get into foul trouble doing it. They did it last night. Lo and behold, only 100 points for Golden State. They're not going to win a lot of games scoring 100 points. The Lakers still win games the old-fashioned way. Despite the brilliance of LeBron on the offensive end or AD, Number one rated defense in the National Basketball Association. Defense travels. Defense, rebounding, timely scoring, taking care of the basketball. That's still the successful formula to win championships in the NBA. And if the Lakers have a healthy AD and a relatively healthy LeBron, they can win another championship by doing just that. Because their versatility will show throughout the playoffs. Harold didn't do much last night. He got minimum minutes. He'll play more against Phoenix. 
if they play Denver, you'll see more Gasol and you'll see more Drummond because they'll need the size and they'll need the strength to battle and at times wear down with the size and strength of the two guys potentially wear down the Joker, not to the point where it won't be effective, not to the point where he'll wilt, but just to the point where physically it will be a chore for him to play two guys that big and that strong. He's a big, strong guy, but there's two of them to wear on him and only one of him, and there's no Murray to help him out. So will the size and strength be more of a factor if that series comes to best? Will Harold be more of a factor in the Phoenix series? They have a great deal. Oh, by the way, they do have they do have the patch that a Schroeder who was god awful last night and can't possibly play that bad the rest of the postseason as he was last night because he doesn't have it in him to be that bad again. So I think the Lakers are going to be just fine. They're the first seven seed to be a favorite against the two seed. Phoenix is not easy. They will be a tough opponent. They've got CP3. They've got Booker, who's terrific. They've got a young and improving team. But here come the champs. With defense, with rebounding, with size, with versatility. Very anxious to see how it goes. I love the Lakers, again, assuming health, to win this series. Health. For the first game in what felt like forever, and I texted you this beforehand, everyone is cleared to play. Everyone is healthy. It feels like we haven't said that this year. For these past five months, it feels that long since everybody's been on the court. But here we go again with the Los Angeles Lakers to start the game. Now, granted, I was a little preoccupied. Corey Kluber was throwing a no-hitter for my New York Yankees, so I couldn't change the channel because, you know, when you mess with the no-hitter, the no-hitter no longer exists. They're going to get a hit immediately when I flip over to the game. So you have to sit in the same spot. You have to watch the game the same exact way. You can't move. You can't blink. Hey, no don't hitters. tell me, folks out there, don't tell us it doesn't have an effect. Don't tell us it doesn't matter. Even the new report knows it matters. Absolutely. Even the new report knows we have an effect. So I helped contribute to Corey Kluber's no hitter. I don't want to take another one under your belt. Another one under my belt as a fan. We all have them. I turn the game on and here we go again. The Lakers starting slow and just, eh, the Lakers start slow and the no names on the opposing team are hot as can be talking trash, talking smack. You got Juan Toscano Anderson, Taunton, Jordan Poole, Taunton. The hell do you think you people are? And apparently that's all LeBron and AD needed to get going. I don't understand why they need something like that or why players in general need that push that they'll say after the game. Well, they got in my face or they said this or that. And that really got me going. The hell are you waiting for that? You need something like that to get you going. Thank God they did because they were awful. LeBron, Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder. When every time they put the stats up for where they stood in the first half, you had to turn away. It was that bad. What were they? Three for 27. It was something like that. Just 
horrendous. And you go down 13 at half and I mean, they, they literally could have shot as well with their eyes closed. Well, we almost got so to bad. that point at the end of the game, which we'll get to speaking of eyes closed. You hold the Lakers to 42 points at the half. That's obviously incredible defense, but let's pump the brakes. There was some really garbage shooting as well. There's one thing to say about a team playing great defense. I understand that, but you can't put it all on the defense of the Warriors, which is good above average. They also just were missing shots. They were terrible. the side of the backboard. How do you hit the side of the backboard? And they were awful. They were careless with the basketball. They looked... Look, I've seen Davis and Drummond play well together. Last night did not mesh. Now, Draymond Green was a big part of that, to his credit, in the first half. Uh, he played incredibly well defensively. And then in the second half, they ripped in the shreds. He had five fouls in the second half, a bunch of turnovers. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Davis was at the five. They got Drummond off the court. Davis had more room to operate. Uh, the offense flowed a lot more freely. At times, the Laker offense almost looks crowded when Drummond is on the floor. And I see now, after getting a really good look at him in the last four weeks with a number of games that I've watched, why people say the things about him that they say. And a lot of experts say it too, because granted, his, his numbers aren't nearly as gaudy with the Lakers as they've been with the Pistons and with the Cavs, but this is a guy who's seven feet tall and puts up very big numbers as a rebounder and a scorer and at times a shot blocker. But for lack of a better term, he almost, even though he gets a vast number of rebounds, when I watch him on the court, it's almost like he plays small. And I cannot figure it out. I, I don't understand why he's not more of a physical presence. I mean, the ball never seems to be above his head. He never seems to be playing well above the rim. Maybe it's just me. It's just what I see. I, I don't see a real physical presence from a guy who is that large. And when you look at his numbers without watching him play, you would think, is a big physical presence. You know, when a guy puts up 25 and 15, you think, man, this is the dominant big guy on the floor. And that you watch him play and you're like, he had 15 rebounds. It just doesn't seem, where'd he get him from? It almost seems like some of his rebounds are like hockey assist rebounds. But he gets them. But they looked lost offensively. They didn't shoot it well. Schroeder was all out of sync. Um, it was a it was a train wreck. I think they start making a comeback, and then boom come, comes you know here comes G State with the threes, including uh, you know Steph to finish it off. And you know, you're down 13 at the half, and then boom, they make their run. They turn up turn up the screws defensively. Uh, they go small for them, which gets Drummond off the court and puts Davis at the five. And you know again. He'll never get the credit because he's the coach of the Lakers that has LeBron and AD. But this is the only guy in the Eastern Conference who took LeBron and the Heat to a seventh game. 
when he was coaching Indiana. Don't tell me Frank Vogel doesn't know how to coach. Don't tell me he's not a good coach. He has done a terrific job last year, and he's done it again this year. Yes, he's got two great players, an all-time player and maybe another all-time player, but a ton of injuries, and the West is rough. He's found a way to keep it together, get everybody on this team time, which is also another problem. A lot of players. I'm sure a lot of guys with egos. Harold came over. One second he's playing 25 minutes, the next play, then he's playing five minutes. Well, you hear Anthony Davis say is everybody's in it. Everybody's in it to win it. Schroeder bitching about his contract. We'll see what happens with him at the end of the year. Bottom line is you see a team that looks to be together and as you said, for the first time from the beginning of the year, all relatively healthy. Rest has helped. Injuries have helped. I said last year the layoff helped the Lakers dramatically because it gave LeBron and Anthony Davis rest because we know Anthony Davis has a tendency to get nicked up. And obviously the rest from the injury layoff, now that I think a good chunk of the staleness uh, is off and rust is off of Anthony Davis, I think has helped him because he, as I said, and can't say too often, is moving incredibly well. I just hope it stays that way, knock on wood, and that you know he continues to be healthy, uh, especially from the waist down for the rest of the postseason because you know what my fear is, obviously, after you know, we all saw what happened to Kevin Durant. So. If he can stay at the top of his health so he can be that huge defensive force, the Lakers will be as well. Well, as much as you don't like being in a position like last night where you have a chance to lose and then be in an elimination game, it was nice to get a game like that under their collective belts before they enter into the official postseason just because – they haven't been able to play together and you're playing at a game that it felt finals esque. I know the warriors aren't the warriors of old because they're missing clay Thompson. And there's a lot of eh, players on that team that have a lot of heart, but there's still Steph Curry. There's still Draymond green. Who's going to punch you in the face, kick you while you're down, be a pest all game long. And Wiggins who takes a ton of shit. Because, you know, he was the first pick in the draft. Okay, he's not going to be an all-time great player. Wiggins is turned into a really good player. He played a great game last night. An incredible he's a, game he's last a, night. He's a very, he's not a, just a good, he's a very good defensive player. He works. He's gotten better. He's improved offensively. They're going to be. Very good, assuming, I should say so, presuming the other half of the Golden Gate Twins is back and healthy. They're going to be very, very good. And then wait until we see where they end up in the lottery because they're going to have a chance to potentially get in the top three when the dust settles. 
They're going to be okay. This season, we didn't expect this. That's why Steph Curry, especially of late, got shot up into the MVP conversation, the deservedly so. Absolutely. And they they got themselves to this point playing their best basketball, and they kicked the Lakers in the teeth. I, I like seeing Caruso and Matthews playing incredibly important minutes in that kind of game. Absolutely. Because now that experience, Caruso had it last year, but this is Matthew's first experience like this as a Laker. And we like to talk about the fact that as Lakers, you need to earn your Lakers stripes. And he helped earn his stripes last night because he was a huge factor. Look at the box score. Look at the plus minus. He was a huge plus minus. That's being on the floor, defending staff, causing getting stops, causing turnovers, which leads to the favorite way for the Lakers to score in transition, layups and dunks, off stops, off defensive rebounds. LeBron or Caruso or Pope or the patch running the break on the advantage because of a block shot, because of a turnover, because of a quick stop, because of a not a three-on-one dunk, but a five-on-four, a four-on-three, which results in power down low and taking the basket, taking the ball to the basket at advantage of your size and scoring on easy shots. Because last night early, nothing was easy because they made everything look difficult. Anything from 12 feet now was a nightmare. So get to the basket, do it with your defense. And seeing Caruso and Matthews have, be a big – not Horton Tucker, not even him. Caruso and Matthews, huge last night in that game. Defensively and offensively from the perspective of they were handling the ball in the half-court offense and they made a huge impact on the offense by their defense. As I said before, that is the Lakers' strength. Plus 17 from Wes Matthews, by the way, led the team. Not too shabby. Once the Lakers got past the – we say this all the time with this chapter of the Lakers, LeBron's chapter is the quit fucking around portion of this team because they often get off to slow starts – and sometimes they can't get out of the holes that they dig themselves in. Not to say that they're not playing great teams and teams play great against them. You lose games, yes. But there are some games that they just lose themselves. This was headed toward that path in the first half, I felt, as good as the Warriors were playing. You got the sense that, geez, if they can just make a couple shots, they're going to be right back into this game. The biggest storyline for me was somehow taking the third quarter is theirs because Steph all season, especially of late has flipped the switch and had his best moments in third quarters and had put games away for the warriors by just going crazy. He didn't, wasn't able to do that because of the defense against him and the Lakers outscored golden state 35, 24 to get it to within two headed into the final quarter. It's like, all right, we got a shot. Then the Dennis Schroeder minutes come, and you're wondering, what is happening? The lead is diminishing. He can't guard Steph. He can't make a basket on offense. 
screaming at the TV to put Wes Matthews back in. Finally, Frank Vogel does so. They're able to hold on, keep it close, get in a position with a minute left in the game and the clock winding down, shot clock that is. Panic is ensuing. LeBron James happens to be open, briefly raises his hand to call for the ball and drills a 34-footer in the eye of Steph Curry, pun intended, because several plays before, Draymond Green follows LeBron in the face, down goes LeBron, holding his eye, holding his head. Looks like he might have got poked in the eye. The immediate consensus on Twitter was, of course, he's faking this injury. He goes over to the sideline, has to get some eyewash put in. He's mouthing that he can't see. He's trying to take his time because he's got two free throws to shoot, which he hits. Maybe he should get hit in the eye more often or get that visine in the eyes before his free throws more often than not now. There's all this talk of was he really hurt? Was he faking? Blah, blah, blah. And then he makes the three-pointer and immediately kind of points to his eye and says, I can't see. And then after the game, we get the commentary that he was seeing three rims and just shot for the middle one, a la Rocky, when Paulie tells Rock to hit the one in the middle when he says, I'm seeing three out there. Just an amazing moment if you just take a step back. And I don't know if it's because LeBron being on the Lakers obviously has me see him and hear him a lot more than he would be on other teams, although he's part of the news cycle always. If you can just kind of figure out how he trolls, it's a lot more enjoyable to watch him work because there's, it's much like Chris Russo, who we're going to talk about a little bit later in this program when we get to baseball. There's a little bit of truth to what he's saying. A lot of it is for show, for entertainment. There's just a little bit of truth, and it might be over-exaggerated a little bit. Did he get hit in the face and probably get hit in the eye? And based on what you could see on TV, one of his eyes was half-closed because he got poked in the eye. Yes. Was it as bad as he might have perceived it to be? Maybe taking a little bit more time to rest because... He's played a lot of minutes. He's still getting his sea legs underneath him. Probably. Were the comments after the game maybe a little exaggerated about seeing three rims? Maybe a little. But if you take a step back and just enjoy what he says, because everything he says is calculated and thought out and on purpose, if you enjoy it, it's so much better than if you take everything he says literally and figuratively and hate it immediately. Because all over the news cycle today was, can you believe he said that? He was, he was saying those things about his eye. He was faking the injury. He wasn't really hurt. Who does he think he is? He's not fooling anybody. Relax, man. <laughs> There's no need to get worked up over these things LeBron James says about injuries and about certain things that have happened and predictions that he makes like before the game saying Steph Curry was the MVP. So everybody jumped on him. Well, if they lose, this is what he's doing. He's building the narrative. Just enjoy the off the court shenanigans that he pulls and enjoy him on the court because that's real. That wasn't a lucky shot. Like Stephen A. Smith said, 
or not a clutch shot like Skip Bayless said. It was a big shot, but it wasn't clutch because he didn't have to set himself. He called for the ball, set himself, and drilled it over Steph like Curry. Once again, just, we talked about it last week, shooting their mouths off so someone can hear them. How is it not? Let's go back in time for a minute. I'm just curious what you think. Now, I am, as you know, the old report, the old school, can't believe the way the game has changed. Did you think it should have been a flagrant foul? I didn't think it was when it happened. Based on the rule, I thought they might call it that way. Even though it was Draymond, even though he just hit his head and came nowhere near the ball, to me, in that moment, I wasn't screaming and yelling that they didn't call their flag and fall. Okay. Uh, for sure, regardless of Steve Jaffe, uh, under today's rules, that's a flagrant foul. Right. He didn't put his arms straight up in the air. He, he put both arms extended and hands forward intentionally to the face and made no play on the ball. The rule is what I thought was going to change it. So, to me, clearly a flagrant foul, and I'm glad they didn't call because I didn't want to hear the excuses Oh, that's what turned the game around. Okay, they got two in the ball. They took the lead. They never relinquished the lead. Never. I'm glad that it should have been a flagrant under two days rules. I'm glad they didn't call. That's item one. Item two, kudos to the guy who's the unsung hero here. And in a way, shape, form, they thought of him as a hero. Caldwell Pope had the ball twice on that exchange in an awful half-court set and was wise enough and had enough experience and savvy and did not panic and throw up a wild shot, travel, try and make a play that wasn't there. He knew he had a safety valve. And, you know, there's no better safety valve alive than LeBron James. Got it back out to him. That's did he have time to line it up perfectly? But that's a catch and shoot. How is that a lucky shot? It's a long shot, but in rhythm. Yeah, the shot clock's winding down, but he's got it. Good pass, ready to catch and shoot quickly. Didn't have all day to line it up, but he was squared up, facing, turned it loose. This wasn't a heave. This wasn't a toss. It was a desperation in terms of I must shoot it or the shot clock's going to expire. Right. So if you want to look at that aspect of desperation, but it wasn't a heave out of context where we've never seen him make a shot from that distance before. We're just not used to seeing him make those shots or take those shots at the end of a shot clock from that spot on the court. We've seen him take a shot from that distance with the shot clock winding up with the ball in his hands when nothing's happening. And I was like, okay, I got to shoot it. But we never see him get that shot off a pass because he's usually got the ball. And he does is look down at the court, look at the ball, triple, set triple, himself step, up, step back, Bobby, step Jack. back shot, step back, Bobby, Jack. As my man Neil Everett would say, in this case, he didn't have the ball. He had it, went, Came back, had it. Again, now Pope's in trouble. Don't want to go. 
I still got time. I still got LeBron. And Pope even went back out to the right wing and waved his hand in case LeBron wanted to give him a quick touch pass for the shoot. The fact a lucky shot, a desperation shot, that's bullshit. It was a great shot. Less I say, Kobe-esque. <laughs> now we're talking. These guys, again, they think they know it all. They haven't got a clue. They don't have a clue. Was the overall result of it lucky? Sure. Why? Because Pope got in trouble. They ran a lousy half-court set. They were out of whack. But patience, calm under pressure, don't panic. A younger, less experienced player may not have known what to do. They have thrown up a prayer, got it thrown back in his face, out of bounds, shot clock with point three or a second to go. Pope doesn't panic. He doesn't travel. He doesn't turn it over. He looks. He finds his guy in time to catch, square, shoot, three-point lead. Then they make sure on the other end, that no matter what, somebody else is going to have to make a three-point and they gave up a wide open look and they'll give up that wide open look to that other guy. As long as it's not Clay Thompson from here to eternity. Right. Versus Steph launching a 35 footer with a hand in his face. He's not shooting the ball. Jordan Poole did not get to taunt AD or LeBron after the three because it went down. comes across half court, it's going to be the sea of hands. It's going to be Raiders Dolphins. 1974. You're not getting off a shot. Granted, you can throw one up over your head. All right. You could hook one from 48 feet because the only way you're going to get it over me. They're coming and they're coming strong and they're coming with Four legs, four arms, minimum length, get it out of his hands. They're not double teaming the ball. They're double teaming the ball when it's in Steph Curry's hands. And if they foul there, they foul there. They're up three. Played to perfection. Same thing on the last possession when they couldn't get anything. Draymond was lost. Kerr calls the timeout. They deny Steph off the inbound once again. Defense wins championships. Lucky shot. Great shot. Big difference. Big difference. Now, Golden State still alive as of this recording. Depending on when y'all are listening to it, they might win. They might have advanced or they might lose to the Memphis Grizzlies. I would think that they'll win. And if the trend of the play-in games continues, they'll be fine because as of now, Everything has gone chalk and not just chalk in most instances, blowout fashion with the chalk based on the viewership of last night's game. And even the other games, to be honest, I think this play in 
round is here to stay, unfortunately. I don't think it's necessary. At least this year has proved that it probably won't be. It leaves the door open for teams that suffer injuries or setbacks to have the opportunity, like the Lakers did in a sense, to get into the postseason. But based on what we've seen, everybody would have just made it anyway, and we could have saved ourselves these couple games and moved on. But based on the Lakers-Warriors game, that will be in their minds for at least next year and probably a year after that, that these playing games will happen. The thing for me that kind of takes away from it, especially for the seven and eight, is you watch the game last night and you can't help but think, wow, these two teams should definitely be in the postseason. I can't believe they have to play to get in. And then the drama at the end is is kind of tainted a little bit because win or lose, you're still okay. The Warriors live another day. As heartbreaking as a loss as that was, it's not win or go home. So that 7-8 game doesn't give you as much drama, and it's going to be with, you would think, two better teams. It felt a little different. There wasn't as much, oh, my goodness, at the end aside from the shot and how the game finished, because, all right, well, the Warriors play again. They'll probably win and get in. It was tense, though. It was very tense. It was it very was tense. tense. It, would, it felt like a finals game, to be honest. It was, it was a great atmosphere at Staples Center. Finally, 6,000 people being able to be there and cheer. You could hear some Warriors fans there as well. I'm not going to take it to the extent of a finals game, but it felt like a swing game in the playoffs. It felt like, you know, a game, a game five in a two, two series. It felt like the loser was going to be in big trouble. Even though you're playing Memphis, it just seems like whoever was going to lose that game because of the way they lost it, it was going to be a tough road to hoe to pick yourself up off the scrap heap and go back at it against luck. Memphis is a pretty good team. I'm not saying they're going to beat Golden State. Not saying they would have beat the Lakers. But they've got some pretty strong moments. And they've got Ja, who can do a lot of different things to hurt you. He's only one guy, and he's a guard, and he's still a kid. Uh, but I like that team. And the West is a sore It's a nightmare. To get through. Uh, yeah, congratulations but, to the Jazz and the Suns. Some of the best seasons you could argue in, in franchise history based on where they'll finish. Obviously, the Jazz had the Carl Malone, John Stockton years, so it's not anything new, but it's been a while since they're the at Suns the top. Suns weren't even the in the playoffs last year. Utah gets to face, we'll just say, if they have to face the Warriors, not the easiest task. And the Suns now get to face the Lakers, as you mentioned, the first time ever that a seven seed is heavily favored. We've talked enough about the West. Let's jump to the East real quick. Now that that uh, is settled with nobody beats the Wiz and Mr. Triple Double in the eighth seed, 
do the Wizards, I don't want to say, do the Wizards even compete against the Nets? I don't think so. I don't think so. There's and been- by compete, I'm going to put it this way. Do they get a game and make another one in the hat in the last minute? I'll give them a game, but it'll be just that, a gentleman's sweep. There's been too many moments this season where if you just look at the box score, wow, I can't believe what Wes did. I can't believe what Bradley Beal did. And then you look at what the team did. It's like, wow, how how do they lose by 20 points tonight? It will be an up-and-down affair. We know that. It's similar to what happens. It won't for the couple months now because of an injury. But what happens with the Angels, where Mike Trout will set some record and Shohei Otani is throwing a... Well, he doesn't go that far in the games, but he hits two home runs and also gets the win on the mound. And then the next night you look and they do something similar. They're breaking records in, in one game for what a pitcher hitter did and Mike Trout, another record, and they it's lose nine to four. And you're like, what going happened? going to be racehorse basketball. I'm hoping against hope it's competitive to the at least the extent that I just said. I think the Sixers win. They have no answer in the middle. Not, not who's going to defend the beat? Their Lopez brother? I, I just... Too much. Ben Simmons, defensive stalwart. Is he going to guard Russ? Be a hell of a matchup if he does. Most intriguing series in the East. Nick Sox? It's got to be. Dikembe Mutombo, Ewing. Oakley. Starks. Going to be a battle on the defense, as it always is, in the paint. Anthony Mason. Those jerseys. Atlanta's Kevin jerseys. Will- Kevin, Kevin Will is still there. Nate McMillan is... My coaches of the year in order, for some reason, I don't have a vote. How I how I have no idea. I can't think of any more qualified uh, other than maybe Nick Wright. Yours truly have a vote. My one, two, three is Thibodeau, Nate McMillan, and Monty Williams. Now, Monty Williams is going to win it. No probability. Uh, what Thibodeau has done is remarkable. What Nate McMillan, first, Nate McMillan, got hosed in Indiana. They signed him with an extension, and they fire him. I have no idea why. Do any of us know why? I don't know. Um, but the point is, he goes down to Atlanta that's off to a very slow start. Granted some injuries, a team that's spent a lot of money in the offseason. And as soon as he steps in, they start winning. And they jettison Rondo, who was a disappointment. And banged up. And they have a terrific second half of the season. They've got a lot of depth. They can shoot it. The team's almost polar opposites. The Knicks not a great shooting team, even though, you know, at times they shoot a ton of threes. Bullock shoots a lot of them. Um, Rowe is not afraid to let it fly. Of course, Julie Randall, uh, most improved player of the year. Most improved player of the year, hands down. He's not going to finish top five. You could make the argument for it, but there's just two nine of rooms at the end. Certainly top 10 MVP. What he's done is remarkable. What the Knicks have done is a great story. How do you see this series? I find it very intriguing. 
I don't know if the Knicks can score enough. And my other concern is they always say about the Knicks, they're Thibodeau, pushes them hard, they play hard every night, gets the most out of them. That's exactly what they used to say about the Knicks under Riley. And come playoff time, they could manage to get through the first round or two and obviously we made it to a finals, but because they played so hard all year long and he got so much out of them, there wasn't that extra level to go to, which they talk about championship. Look, I'm not saying the Knicks are championship aspirations, but to be successful in the postseason, they always seem to talk about everybody's got to go to the night. Do the Knicks have a next level? He got so much out of them during the regular season. How do you see this series? It's going to be incredible to see, especially Madison Square Garden filled to the guild as best they can. It'll be the most filled sporting event venue in COVID times. Thanks to Bill de Blasio needing the extra cash, obviously. So the garden's going to be bumping for the first time in a long time, it feels like. It'll be interesting to see what happens if we assume Atlanta tries to and is able to shut down Julius Randle. Who's the answer? Consistently. As if they, what if they do that all series? Who steps up consistently? Julius Randle has been their consistency all season, but can that happen in the postseason? With a young team, I'm not sure. I don't really have a dog in the fight, which is somewhat exciting. I, I guess based on Nick's Twitter, especially when they played the Lakers a couple weeks back, just insufferable. Like, this is the best team that's ever walked the face of the earth. Julius Randle's the MVP and most improved player. Thibodeau, coach of the year. R.J. Barrett in the Hall of Fame. R.J. Barrett, we remember took the game over against Michigan state in the elite eight. And we know how that ended for Duke in a loss. I'm excited for the series, but I'm with you in who's going to be able to score consistently for the Knicks. And it'll be interesting to see what the Hawks do. A still young team, Trey young leading the way. How's he going to be in the postseason, playing under the lights of the garden. And, 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 and this is Randall's big moment. This is what Julius Randle has been working towards. He's on center stage. He is the star of this team. He is the guy who gets the MVP votes. He is the most improved player. He is the guy that the Knicks plucked from the Pelicans uh, and had the reputation of not working hard enough, not being in the gym. And has completely turned it around. He's become the leader of the team. He has become the role model for the team. He's far and away been their best player. He is their go-to guy, period, end of story. He has got, I mean, you watch his handle now. I mean, he's got more moves than a bucket of worms. Left side, right side, to the rim, step back threes, pull-ups, elbow, uh, runners to the rack and dunk, getting to the free throw line, scoring in a multitude of ways, 
dishing. He's become an incredibly effective player in the half-court offense. When I thought the best Julius, and I had I hit for him, I thought when the Lakers drafted him, Julius Randle had the potential to be a bigger, better, more athletic version of Draymond Green. That's what I thought he could be. Now he hurts our heart most nights. You see the highlights of what the Knicks are doing and what he's doing. Boy. I never thought he would be this effective, not a scorer, but a shooter. Become a very, very nice jump shooter and three-point shooter. Yep. With a very nice stroke. So he now is on center stage in the Mecca. With fans back in the building. On national TV, this is his chance to shine. Pretty simple. Julius Randle doesn't have a terrific series. Knicks don't win. Right. They have to average 40, but they need the Julius Randle of you know 28 to 35 for four games to win the series. I'd have to agree with that as well. What are we going to see from Trey Young? Right. Are we going to see Trey Young 14 trips to the stripe make 14? Are we going to see the Trey Young that you know gets 35 points on 12 shots? Or are we going to see the Trey Young that goes, you know, 10 for 30 from the field? What's the maturity level for Trey Young? Is Trey Young going to be a passer when it's there? Because he is a very underrated passer. They've got weapons with Bogdanovich, with the ex-Nick Gallinari, and the forgotten man inside, the rebounding machine. What kind of effect will he have on both ends of the floor? Is he going to guard Randall? Who is going to guard Randall? Who is going to guard Randall? That's a good question. They got a deep team. They could put a number of guys on Randall. So... You know, Derek Rose, what are they going to get out of him? He's been unbelievable, rejuvenated, guy we'd given up on, played unbelievable basketball for the Knickerbockers, and has become a team leader. Has literally stepped in with no ego whatsoever. One night he'll get eight points, the next night he'll get 28. One day he'll take six shots, the next night he'll take 20. He's really taken a role for this team of whatever needs to be done on a particular night. Playing under control, we'll never see the explosives we saw. It's not physically possible because of the knee, the terrible injury. But playing under control with athleticism, still with the ability to get to the basket, and get to the free throw line and make and be unafraid to take big shots. This to me is the most intriguing series of the entire first round East and West. I agree. I'm also interested in Milwaukee, Miami, just because of what happened in the bubble and the heat knocking off the bucks the Heat, garbage start to open their season. 
turning it on as of late, finding their footing. We all know about Milwaukee in the postseason. Should be exciting. Could hey, could go either way. As we say, never count Jimmy Butler out. And with Giannis, you never know. <laughs> you never know. So that's another series that could sway and go back and forth and end up seven games of excitement. All we're asking give me, for the show is exciting. Give me your finals prediction. My preseason prediction is still alive, so I'm going to stick with it, which I'll give you after you tell me what your final, not who's going to win it, who is going to be in the NBA Finals. Lakers, Sixers. He goes almost what you may call quasi-chalk. Yeah, in a normal season, uh, four months ago, chalk. I am going to stick with my preseason prediction which because of the acquisition of the point guard who I absolutely love, as I've discussed with my son, if the Lakers had him, we might never lose. (laughs) If he's, if he plays in enough games, I absolutely love the acquisition. The bucks made, they gave up a boatload to get him. From the Pelicans, hurt early on. He's a wonderful defender. I think he's the difference maker for this team. And I am picking, even though they're coming out of the three hole, I am picking the same team I picked in the preseason. I am picking the Milwaukee Bucks to come out of the East and take on the defending champion, our Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals. I like it. And I like how neither one of us said the Brooklyn Nets, who are apparently struggling to get a capacity-numbered sellout in their first two home playoff games. Maybe it's because the mayor decided to garner a Brooklyn Nets attire at a press conference. He's so popular. Really just make it an SNL skit in real life. Maybe that's turning people off. Oh, this dude's wearing the jersey. Forget it. We're staying Coming home. This Saturday, their point guard may not play now. <laughs> he may have some food for thought. Do I really want to play for this team now? Yeah. The mayor's rooting for us? Something else for him to think about besides world hunger. Quickly to baseball because we would be remiss as the new report, old report, to not talk about one of the stories that just get dropped on our doorstep with our names right on the front page. This is for your show. Discuss. Tony LaRussa, your old manager for the St. Louis Cardinals, is now still in baseball, managing the Chicago White Sox at age, I believe, 76. The White Sox have a team with some players who would be stars in the let the kids play esque commercials and advertising slogans for major league baseball as a way to pretend that they want the game to be fun. The other night fun was had. Well, fun we perceived was being had and Tony La Russa was having none of it. 
with the score 15 to four, the Minnesota twins did what so many teams do and threw a position player out there to just get to the end of the game. This dude is lobbing up 47 mile an hour pitches and your main Mercedes has seen enough literally because on three Oh, he uncorks the swing and launches a home run in the left center field to put the white Sox up 16 to four. The aftermath of which we see Tony LaRusa on the top step, very displeased after the game throws him under the bus. It's not how we do things here, et cetera, et cetera. I'll let you handle the particulars. The twins retaliate the next night. They throw behind the guy. The pitcher gets thrown out of the game. LaRusa afterward basically says, ah, he deserved it. And now we're at the point where Tony LaRusa is one of the main talking points this week in major league baseball dog is on his side. Chris Russo had a nice rant about would Henry Aaron have swung three Oh in a 15 four game in the ninth CC Sabathia fired back saying Tony LaRusa doesn't belong in the game. Chris Russo shouldn't be talking about the game cause cousin that is not cause C A U S E quite the conundrum for the new report, old report as to what we should make of this situation. The caveat to it all is that reportedly on three Oh, Tony LaRusa gave Mercedes the take sign. So the immediate reaction of let him swing three Oh, let him have fun. Let him get his, let him get the stats that are going to be important when it comes time to sign his contract, et cetera, et cetera. For me, unfortunately, go out the window if he was told to take 3-0. As much as you might disagree with the Russas saying so, you got to listen to the manager. Now, did he completely, this being Tony La Russa, handle the situation wrong every day following in every way possible? Absolutely. But if he told him to take 3-0, that does change things, in my opinion. And the story changes a little bit. You can't disobey the manager, whether or not it's you agree not with It's not just a question that. of disobeying. And I understand at this point, of where we are in baseball, maybe everybody doesn't get this, whether you're part of the new report or the, the, the fans who are dominated by analytics, and watch games on their phones. And when they go to the games, they spend it on their phones and sending everybody pictures of them being on their phones and pictures of them at the game and Snapchat, snap crackle pop and all uh, you know instamatics and uh, telegrams etc here's the bottom line when you're winning by that amount late in the game you don't steal bases you don't swing three and oh especially when they've got a position player out there if you're on first base and you're on 15 to one 
and the guy who's in the game is not paying any attention to you. Do you steal second base? Of course not. Never. Even if it's a regular pitcher who knows what he's doing. He's got to know you got to know it all. No, 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 no. And when you get a 3-0 take sign from your manager against a guy who's throwing the ball 48 miles an hour, you take and he gives you the take sign just to make sure you know I'm not supposed to swing, just in case you don't know you're not supposed to swing. So Tony LaRusse is trying to make sure that they don't embarrass the other team. Because that's the right thing to do. And that's got nothing to do with having fun. That's got nothing to do with backflips. That's got nothing to do with celebrating. That's got to do with the right way you play the game. Respecting the game. Old school, old report mixed in with the nuances of today. You simply don't do it. But what you don't also do is embarrass your player in front of everyone on the top step. What you don't do is embarrass your player in front of the press after the game. And above all else, what you never ever do is say it's okay for your guy to get thrown at. And this is the great dichotomy. This is the great, and I have vast amount of respect for Tony LaRusso. He's a fellow attorney. He's an incredibly bright guy. Yes, he's old school. Yes, maybe he's stuck in some old ways, but maybe let's give Tony LaRusso some credit for being a smart guy. Maybe he'll realize, ah, you know, somebody screwed up. Oh, he's going to lose the locker room. They're going to police themselves. Lance Lynn's the new leader. You know, they're all going to Maybe Tony LaRusso takes these guys aside and say, look, I got to do a better job. I messed up. That's on me. I should have kept it in-house. It's not going to happen again. Apologize to the team. Apologize to the player for not doing it the right. What you did was wrong, but the way I handled it was also wrong. But that insult to injury, Tony LaRusa, who throughout his career as the manager of the White Sox, the A's and my Cardinals has always said, never at a guy's head, shoulders down, never at a guy's head. We won't do it and we will not stand for it done to our guys. And we'll never do it to yours. Shoulders down. Then he goes out and says, it's okay to throw at one of my own guys because he had it coming. That's the wrongest of the wrongs. That's when you don't have your players back. Because that's when you say, look, I understand he was wrong. Didn't like what he did. I'll handle it in-house. I'll speak to him. Understand they're going to go after him. It's part of the game. But I'm not. I'm. I'm not under any circumstances condoning them throwing at my guy above the, above the shoulders. You feel what he did was wrong. You're going to take your revenge out. You want to teach him a lesson. Over and above what I'm saying as his manager. 
ribs, thigh. You don't go up there. Just don't do it. Another unwritten rule. You don't go after a guy up top. And that's the great inconsistency here. He has made a career of saying, you never go above the shoulders and we will never do it. And I've seen him get fights with other managers when they go above the shoulders. And this time he wasn't there for his player. Even though his player had a plunking coming. No problem with him getting one of the ribs. That's, to me, that's his greatest failure. He handled it wrong. He handled it poorly. But then said, insult to injury, he didn't defend his player. He said, it's okay to have open season on one of my guys. Can never, ever, ever do that. That's when you can lose a locker room. And I think he's smart enough to figure out it's time for Tony Lewis to apologize to the entire team. Because that's a failure of old school being old school. And it's fine to be old school in Major League Baseball. And there's times that I'm screaming from the rooftops for more old school when managers and in turn the GMs of the team focus more on the binder than they do their eyes in certain situations. And we yell and scream about this every season, especially in the postseason. Pitchers get pulled, guys get pinch hit for, certain players starting over others because the numbers say one thing, but your eyes are saying a completely different thing. What are you doing? We yell, we scream. But the old school mentality, you would think, would have said, you take 3-0 when it's a position player and we're blowing them out. You want to swing at the next pitch? Go ahead. But afterward, if it's the player that either missed the sign or ignored it, you discipline them, you let them know your stance on it, but you don't drag them through the mud in public. Especially now in 2021, when that's the story after the game, when it happens for the rest of the night, and then it's now become the story for days because of how he's handled the first day's night situation with it, the throwing at him situation, and then the day after that. Everything was just one bad thing after another. Now, as you said, you hope that maybe seeing all this, reading it, hearing people say, what are you doing for how you handle the situation with your player, not just the situation of the game, will get him to say, hey, guys, my bad. Like he did when he didn't know the rule a couple weeks back. Which I didn't know either, by the way. Been out of the game a little bit. Didn't know the rule. It happens. My bad. It's okay to admit you're wrong. And it would be okay in this situation to say, hey, I shouldn't have did X, Y, Z. Players should respect that and you should be able to move on. Quietly, the White Sox are having a hell of a season. One of the best yeah, teams in the meantime, in it, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like Tony Lewis doesn't know how to manage anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously been doing something right. They're not just going out and, and winning on their own. Tim Anderson's not coaching the team yet. Lance Lynn is not coaching the team. Somebody's pressing the right buttons to this point. So 
he better do the right thing, whatever that right thing is, because you don't want that to be what derails this season because it's going pretty good. He's doing something correct. I think they'll be fine. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a ton of pitching. With the team that we thought was going to compete with them, I think we both thought that the Twins would be, you know, right back where they were last year in the division hunt and at least competing for a wild card. The Twins are off to, you know, the, the old, you know, the old saying, "Ain't to be, you know, beat a dead horse." But you know, you, you can't win a pennant in April, but you can lose one. Well, the Twins have taken April and May, and they are very close to being in dire straits. Now, if you had a week to prepare, I don't want to have any injuries happen on my watch, you being a lawyer and all. You're throwing it faster than 47 miles an hour from the mound if you had a week, right? I think we could both say that for the show, despite the new report, old report. I think we I'd could like hit over to 47. think I could go out on the mound right now and break 50. I would hope, right? I would like to think, as you said, I can go out today and hit over 47. It would be quite the kick in the face if I couldn't. What I think baseball should implement, you want to wreck the game with these, put a runner on second and extra innings and seven inning double headers and change this and switch that and flip the playoffs around every other year. Why not, if you don't like the position player coming into these blowouts, why not have what the NHL does for its goalies? Emergency backup relief pitchers. Get some local guy to try out with hundreds of other local guys, beer belly, softball league, former varsity star still in the letterman jacket. You're telling me there's not thousands of dudes who would want to be the rookie in real life, come to the ballpark, hit the mound and see how fast they can throw. I know that there's plenty of arms that could hit 47, have an emergency backup relief pitcher, bring him to the home games, get him a ticket. He doesn't even need a uniform till it's a blowout. It gets to 10 runs. He's like the goalie. He's the guy who's going to go in for either team. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he's the high school coach. He's a lawyer. It doesn't matter who he is, but he can throw. Gets to 10 runs. You send him to the clubhouse, put him in the uniform of whatever respective team it is and have him start loose. warming up. Get him loose. It can't be any worse than what we've seen. And it'll be must-see television. Hey, Frank from down the street is coming in to pitch the ninth. He hasn't thrown a game since Wilson's softball league in 94. And they're sending him out there to pitch. You want to get fans involved. You want to keep people at the game. Former American Legion ace. (laughs) You want to keep people at the game after last call. You want people to switch over on their TVs and watch these 15-4 blowouts. That's exactly how you do it get the emergency relief pitcher part of the game of baseball. It can't be any worse than a position player, and it's not changing the rules as drastically as they've already been changed in some aspects of the baseball game. And you have, you have something to root for in a blowout. Absolutely. If you're not going to give us the 10-run rule, which 
hey, I would be for after seven innings. For all the other stuff that they're doing, why the hell not? 12 for me, but yes. You're not going to give us that. Give us the emergency relief pitcher at least. So we're either rooting for, in our hypothetical world, a 10 or 12 run rule or the emergency relief pitcher. Send the FedEx guy out to the mound. That's all we ask. Have some fun. Make baseball fun again, if you will. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. In the words of the one and only Oprah Winfrey, you get a no-hitter. You get a no-hitter. You get a no-hitter. You get a no-hitter. How many more no-nos will there be from now until the next time we speak? From my partner, the great shot, Tiny Lund, I am El Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.